Hi, HR Nation. It's Chris Rainey. Welcome to HR Leaders, the show where we interview today's most successful and innovative HR practitioners five days a week. Today, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Daniel Burris. Daniel is a technology futurist, innovation expert, keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Um, Daniel, for, for those that aren't aware of you, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and your journey to where we are today. Sure, I uh, uh, started out uh, actually teaching biology and physics, so I really <laughs> got a science uh, research background and uh, started a company that uh, ended up, actually it was in aviation, I had my own airplane design, I was a test pilot, this is when I was a young guy, and uh, ended up with 37 national locations in the first year, was profitable in the first year, I started another one, another one, another one, I ended up, uh, started, uh, uh, six companies, uh, five were profitable in the first year, four were national leaders in the United States in the first year, and I've done all that without uh, any uh, business loans uh, and wow. uh, outside money. Which, uh, So in other words, instead of just writing books, I, uh, I do things. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> Practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, I was really, uh, really blessed long ago to uh, find out why I was put on the planet. See, I think uh, the two most important moments in a person's life is one, uh, the day you're born, and two, the day you find out why you're born. And I found out I was put on the planet to teach. So rather than tell in this interview and when I'm giving speeches and writing, I like to teach so that uh, you're empowered. So with that in mind, 35 years ago now, whoa, does time go fast, uh, I started Burris Research, that's my core company. and. Uh, I've uh, written seven books. I'm happy to say I've been bestsellers and uh, the latest one, The Anticipatory Organization. We can talk about that a little bit. And I've started a uh, leadership learning system uh, called The Anticipatory Leader. Uh, I consult with, uh, really I do more strategic advising to uh, C-suite executive teams on how to solve impossible problems, how to use what I call hard trends to drive rapid innovation, and, uh, and how to shift uh, cultures to, uh, in, uh, in very productive and powerful ways. And then uh, as a futurist, again, I got 35 year track record of uh, being very accurate about where things are going. And my goal in here is to teach this group how to really separate the wheat from the chaff so you can be really great futurists. And uh, with that, I'll let you take it away. Fantastic. Amazing story. I always love asking that question because it is completely different every single time. And I think 90% of people don't really understand where they're going to, where they're going to go with their career and they kind of find it and have that aha moment, like you just said, and I, I kind of share that as well. Um, you know, as a, you know, a futurist, it's a big, it's a big claim, right? <laughs> so, and I we see a lot, we saw, so I'm just wondering for you, what really occupies your mind then on a day to day basis? Well, uh, I think one of the, there's a couple of things that are key. Number one is uh, I don't want anyone to be a passive receiver of the future because the future is unfolding before our eyes every single moment. Uh, I want us to be an active shaper of the future. I want us to shape a positive future for yourself, for your family, for your business, for your team, uh, and for the planet, and uh, because hope is not a strategy. And I'm extremely passionate about uh, what I'm teaching 
And I've really dedicated 35 years to teaching and my new book highlights that as well as my other books, they're all thematic. Mm -hmm. And that is to help people to become more anticipatory and less reactionary. The reason for that uh, I'll give you, and that is we live in a world where change is accelerating. And by the way, if you think it's gonna slow down, <laughs> I'll give you right now, you are wrong. Uh, technology is giving us uh, an, an exponential curve. And I first started writing about that in 1983, and it's been very predictable, amazingly enough. And it is getting predictably faster, but in exponential, what that means is two becomes four becomes eight. At first, it's kind of slow, and then it gets fast. Well, right now, we're in the holy cow phase. Yeah, we're and, seeing it all around us. <laughs> all around us. And therefore, therefore, if all you're doing is reacting quickly to problems after they occur, if all you're doing is reacting quickly, which is agility, mm -hmm. Agility is reacting quickly after things happen. It's a reactive, uh, you know, a strategy. Uh, reacting to disruptions after they disrupt or after new opportunities are being used by someone else. Every year, you're going to be falling behind more and more. So agility, I've already mentioned that, is a very powerful strategy. It's been one of the key strategies to deal with rapid change for HR, for IT, for CEOs, CIOs. It doesn't matter who you are but it's one side of the strategic coin only. It's the side that is based on the unpredictable part of the future. And by the way, you can't predict everything. There's a lot of things that are unpredictable. What I'm here to tell you, and this is really a big point, there is so much that's predictable. With timeframes, it's amazing. And that's where being anticipatory comes in. And uh, to give you a chance to ask some questions, let me just state it this way. Uh, again, this is based on a uh, scientific study and it's proven itself over the decades. And that is, when you see a trend, how do you know it's going to happen? Hey, there's no shortage of trends. Yeah. Matter of fact, it's easy to predict when you'll get a new list of trends around January this year. Uh, <laughs> the problem, again, is which ones will happen? Well, what I've got is I've perfected a methodology that all of you can use that you overlay over any trend. I don't care if it's from Deloitte or IBM or I don't care who they are and separate whether it's a hard trend that will happen versus a soft trend that might happen. Hard trends are based on what I call future facts. You cannot stop them. You got all the money in the world, you'll Google your Apple, you know what, you can't stop it, it's gonna happen anyway. Uh, the key is you can see it before it happens. And if you can accurately predict the future before it happens, you have a huge competitive advantage and a personal strategic advantage. Then there are soft trends. And a soft trend, unlike a future fact that cannot be changed, is based on an assumption about the future that can be changed. And that is a powerful thing I just stated. Soft trends and hard trends, I love them both. A soft trend, what's the power? I don't like it, I can change it. Yeah. Uh, a hard trend, I can see it coming before it happens. I could turn disruption into a choice. I can make change my biggest competitive advantage. And by the way, if it's not your biggest advantage, it's gonna be your biggest problem. <laughs> so, uh, so what I'm doing is very passionately about if we're gonna be happy campers on planet Earth, and I don't care where you live on planet Earth and where your kids are and where your family is, if we don't start learning to be anticipatory, we're in trouble. So I am extremely passionate about this subject, and uh, that's why I love teaching it 
And that's why I want to thank you for uh, getting me on this podcast to get the word out, uh, to get people to change how they think without telling them what to think. See, I don't have the right to tell you what to think. A manager will change how you behave. A leader changes how you think. And I want to change how you think about the control you have over the future, change how you think about what technology can do and about the human role and the cultural role in innovation and driving positive, constructive disruption. Mm. So how, um, well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all that. I was taking in so much information that I was actually thinking, what question am I going to ask next? <laughs> um, how can companies get ahead of disruption that's heading their way? And you know, what are some of the signs to look for? Because you're right, there's so many trends, there's so much going on, there's so much noise um, around us that it must be very difficult. So I'm just wondering if you can share, though, you know, what, how can companies you know, get ahead of it and what, what are some of the signs they can look for? Yeah, well, um, first of all, uh, one of the things, I'll give you the biggest worry I have for every listener out there on this podcast right now. And that is, uh, I'm worried about you all being so busy because uh, why didn't a cab driver think of Uber? Why didn't Marriott or Hilton think of Airbnb? I know why. They were all really busy doing what they've always done. Yeah. And my worry is that after this podcast, you're going to go back and do what you've always done. And by the way, there's an old saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always had. That is now an obsolete phrase. Here's my new one for you. If you do what you've always done, you'll get much less of what you've always had. Because the world is transforming, it's no longer changing. So number one, to answer your question, I want you to realize that uh, you need to devote some time to think strategically about your future. After all, that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. So a little tip I'll give you right now, and that is I'd like you to devote at least one hour a week. Why? It's doable. After all, we're talking about your future here. Yeah. And in that hour, I want you to unplug from the present and all the problems you're dealing with because they're, they're more past-related than future-oriented. And I would like you to ask yourself, out of this whole world of uncertainty, what am I certain about? See, now, here's why I'm asking you to do that. Um, we have an amazingly uncertain world. What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with stocks? What's going to happen with your home values? What's going to happen with your business? What's going to happen with artificial intelligence and HR? What's going to happen with blockchain? All of it seems uncertain. Now, here's what I'm, the point I'm making. As a personal and business strategy, if it's based on uncertainty, you got high risk. That's why a lot of companies don't drive and make bold decisions and move forward faster. Because, I don't know, I don't know. Let's wait and see. On the other hand, strategy that's based on certainty has low risk and high reward because if you don't do it, someone else will. Yeah, and that's what we're saying. It will be done. If you don't do it, someone else will. Well, how'd you like to know it could be done? An hour a week will do it if you use the methodology. Now, let me give you, a, a, again, I'm giving you a big answer, but you asked a big question. <laughs> All right? And uh, so the, uh, the next thing is, again, this is me teaching you right now. Whenever you see a trend, realize it has no value until you attach an opportunity to it. Because when you attach an opportunity for you to a trend, it bursts into actionable life. 
So I don't want you or any people in your organization to ever talk about trends unless you're talking about the related opportunity to that trend, all right? So I just gave you a big one there. You may not realize it, but that's a very that, big that's one. That's very big, yeah. That is big. Secondly, is it a hard trend or a soft trend? And uh, in other words, is it something that is gonna happen anyway and can't be changed, or is it something that I can influence? How do we know and that? How do we know that? Comes in. So let me give you some examples to make this real. Otherwise, it stays too abstract. So let's talk about uh, a, uh, let's talk about the United States. You've read a lot about our increasing healthcare costs and how it's going up and up and up and uh, there's no yeah. end in sight. Yeah. And I was just speaking, because uh, I do a lot of keynote speaking around the world, and I was just speaking to a thousand CEOs of US uh, in the medical field. So it was drug companies and hospitals and so on. And before I spoke, they all were under the assumption that increasing healthcare costs is a hard, unstoppable trend. Actually, it's not. It's a soft trend. Now, if you think you can't stop it, why would you try? That's why U.S. Uh, healthcare reform was really health payment reform. How do we pay for the mess the baby boomers are going to cause as they get older? Instead of, I don't know. We could take, for example, blockchain and look at the U.S. healthcare system right now, which has low trust and is highly uh, fragmented ecosystem. And with blockchain, you could increase security, you could increase trust and increase transparency and lower costs by billions. By the way, that will happen. Uh, secondly, we could use the cloud and virtualization uh, to just apply to uh, shipping and logistics and transform shipping and logistics. And I've already measured it. You could flush billions of dollars of waste out of the system. In other words, hey, we could lower it. So the problem is an assumption can get you into trouble. Remember I mentioned soft trends and assumptions. A lot of those assumptions you think are future facts and that's why you have trouble with them. Just like AI is going to take all the jobs. There's not going to be any truck drivers. There's, uh, you know, we're gonna, it's all gonna be AI. By the way, that's very, a lot of assumptions in there. <laughs> uh, let's separate the wheat from the chat. When it comes to hard trends, and don't worry, I'm gonna give you a chance to ask me some more questions. I, <laughs> but uh, on, carry on, carry on. <laughs> uh, but let me give you a little bit on the hard trend side, all right? It's not that difficult. There's only three categories of hard trends, all right? One, demographics. For example, in the United States, there's 78 million baby boomers. Hard trend, they're gonna get older. They're not gonna get younger, they're gonna get older. And, <clears throat> and knowing that, we can predict a lot of problems that we could either let happen or pre-solve, so we don't have them. And we can also see an amazing number of opportunities. Let me give you an opportunity. I'm gonna describe a product that does not exist right now. But based on hard trends, we'll see what you think. And that is, how about a smart watch for seniors? And how old are these seniors? 80 years old and older. Now, would anybody buy an 80-year-old or older buy a smart watch? No, they're not going to buy it. Who's going to buy it? You're going to buy it for them. And why are you going to buy it and give it to them? Because all of the smart watches today and all the future ones will have a little chip in it that's an accelerometer. It shows motion. So if 95-year-old grandma's watch rapidly moves five feet, what happened to grandma? 
when she fell. Fell over, or you can monitor. Really? You can monitor the heart rate. You can monitor. You know, loads. There's loads of things you can monitor now for this watch. You can monitor so many things. And yeah. by the way, uh, Grandma knows she fell. Who needs to know? You do if it's your grandma. And let's say Grandpa's getting a little absent-minded and he takes walks, but forgets where he is and can't get home. What does he do? He asks his watch and it tells him, how do I get home? I just walk to the right. Uh, where is grandpa? Oh, I can see him right there. Now, and by the way, one of the new sensors on all the watches is blood oxygen level readers, which would be quite handy if you know anything about aging people and, uh, and so on. My point is, there is no watch for that age group right now, no smart watch. Now, let me ask you a question, and I'd like to ask all of our listeners a question right now and you answer in your mind raise your hand if you think that watch is not going to happen none of you put your hand up did you <laughs> why because if it can be done it will be done if you don't do it someone else will how would you like to know what could be done how would you like to know all the innovations that absolutely will happen and with low risk on your part if you decide to do it well that's kind of what i'm talking about now i gave you the demographics angle I said there were two others. Another one is gonna really shock you all. Government regulation. I bet you didn't think I was gonna go there. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> I, I was definitely not expecting that. <laughs> oh man, is it big? Every country in every part of the world has regulations of some kind, all right? And again, you can't predict them all. Well good, I don't care about the ones I can't predict. They don't empower me. All they do is keep me from moving forward. I wanna look at all the ones that I can predict. I'll just give you, uh, because we all know that uh, the president in the United States, and we won't talk about whether we like him or not, let's just talk <laughs> about the president of the United States. Whoa. Anyway, um, they, uh, he doesn't like uh, regulations. So right now, where you're sitting next to your computer, if you're watching this or if you're listening to this, raise your hand if you think, you know, in the United States, even though they don't like regulations in the current government, we're not going to get any more regulations in the U.S. on cybersecurity. Raise your hand right now. Come on, let me see it. You're not putting your hand up. Why? Because you know we will. You see, there are some hard trends at play that give you predictability, even regardless of who's in. And it's powerful. Now, here's from an HR perspective why this whole thing is powerful. And I'll mention it before giving you the third hard trend, and that is, in my speeches all over the world, and I've had some very large audiences. Last year, I had 14,000 in the largest IT conference in Beijing uh, with 35 languages. And, you know, I get around. I do a lot of speaking. And I ask people in my audiences, I'll state uh, something like that, a hard trend. And I'll ask, how many think it won't happen? Everybody not, believes it will from any country. In other words, in the U.S., you get Democrats and Republicans agreeing on everything. People that don't agree, yes you can, when you hear the future truth. How does this relate to HR? How do you empower your people to make bold moves? How do you get them to be an innovation engine? And by the way, I wanna come back on that in this podcast, it's vital, help me to do that. <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you empower them to make bold moves and go forward in new directions? And that is certainty. Because if I'm uncertain, I'm not going to make a bold move. I don't even know if you're going to be here or gone. You're a leader. You may be out of here. Uh, and I want my job. But what if you had the confidence 
that comes from the certainty of hard trends so that you realize if you, the leader who just gave me an initiative, and if you're gone, I'm going to have to do it anyway because it's, it's a hard trend to shape in the future. And by the way, if this organization isn't doing it, I better find a different job because we'll be in trouble predictably. Yeah. So, um, so it's a powerful strategy. Get, getting back to the three, uh, so we got demographics. I barely touched the surface on that, uh, but it's huge, giant, and uh, part of HR is ending the unspoken war between the young and the old because they don't trust each other, and there's a way to do that. Part of what I teach in my books and in my systems, and again, we can talk about it or not, depending on the time we have. Uh, secondly, demo, or the uh, regulations, let me give you one more of how to turn that into money. Elon Musk, we all know Elon Musk, he's done well as an entrepreneur. Every single business he started from day one, his funding and money came from regulations. Yeah, he did, done very well. Absolutely, he uses them to his advantage. Well, you could too. Um, So the third one is technology. And uh, when a new technology comes around, it allows us to do things that were previously impossible. But what we tend to do is do with them what we did with them before. In other words, when we get um, a new version of, uh, of, let's say, Word or Excel, right? Carry on doing the same stuff. Or a new operating system, what do we all do? We ask the IT department, how do I get the classic view? Because we want to dumb it down to do what it did before. Yet the reality is it's the advantage of what's new in it that'll let me do things you haven't even thought of. That's where competitive advantage comes from. So we have all of these tools out there and what I want us to do is realize, and now I'm gonna give you a chance to ask me some questions finally, but uh, uh, we live in a technical world and I do track technological change in all areas, been doing it for 35 years. They are a major hard trend uh, creator. However. We live in a human world, not a technical world. It's really a human world and technology is an enabler. So if there's a problem with technology, it's not technology, it's how us humans are using it. So that's why I'm so excited to be with you on this podcast because frankly, I think HR, and I'm talking to everyone listening to this, I think you are not playing the role you should be playing. Years ago, IT and the uh, CIO, they were, uh, someone else would determine corporate strategy and they had to execute. And, um, but in reality, they are doing things now that are transformational because the C-suite doesn't even know it's possible. The IT department does. Maybe it should be reversed around. Maybe they should have a role at the, at the table, at the top of the table. HR should be bigger at the top of the table because it's a human world. And if we don't, if we integrate a new technology and we don't do a shift in thinking before implementation, I can predict you're going to have all kinds of trouble. Yeah. We've got to change how they think before we give them a tool that's transformational or it'll be dumbed down and underutilized and innovation will go nowhere. So I believe, frankly, you hold the key to the future more than I think you, and I'm talking to you right now, than all of you even realize. You need to spend a little time being strategic yourself and with your team and realizing the responsibility and the opportunity 
that is right before your eyes right now like never before. Yeah, well, you pretty much ans- answered my next question because that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. I completely agree with you. And um, HR has such an important role to play um, in disruption and innovation. Um, and I just really wanted to get more of your perspective on, on the, how they can go about doing that and what steps they can possibly take to make that a reality. Yes, well, let me give you uh, some right now because you asked that question. So let's give you a few. One is we say we're communicating when in reality, we're just informing. We say we're collaborating, when in reality, we're just cooperating. We say we're innovating, when really, we're just doing fast imitating. And we say we're transforming, when we're really just changing. Why? Because culturally, we don't know the, we don't know the difference. We don't know the difference. And knowing the difference makes all the difference. So one of the things we need to do is have a, uh, a really good, from our cultural standpoint, understanding of a shared definitions of what we mean, because that's a giant assumption. Right now, every company listening to this, you have got a bunch of transformational processes going on right now. You're, gonna, you're transforming this, you're transforming that. You know what? Actually, most of those are change. They're not transforming, they're change. Let me give you an example of a definition so we can be specific here. I brought it up, let me give it to you. Um, When I was a young guy, I could listen to my music, one album per spinning disc, it was about that big, all right? 33 and a third. Um, And as years, so I could listen to my uh, Pink Floyd, my Almond Brothers and all of that stuff on that album spinning. Years later, a technology change came along. I could get that music on a smaller disc called a CD. And I like that, not because of its size. I like the fact that by digitizing it, I got rid of the hisses and the pops and the scratches on all my albums because I had a lot of parties. Today, I don't know where my CDs are. I've got all my music, all my videos, access to the world and access to supercomputers in my pocket right now called my smartphone. That didn't change how I listened to music. It transformed it. So uh, am I truly transforming a process or am I just rapidly changing it? Uh, I talked about collaboration. Um, People, uh, you cooperate because you have to. You collaborate because you want to. Cooperation is based on protecting your piece of the power and the pie. I gotta work with you. I don't want to, but I gotta work with you and I'll do it only if I protect my turf my fiefdom, my silo. Um, Collaboration, on the other hand, is working together so that we can create a bigger pie for each other. Uh, We talked about that before the show even started. Exactly. That's not about cooperation, that's about collaboration. How about uh, communication? Communication is two-way and it's dynamic, but we tend to inform, which is one way instead. I sent you the document, I sent you the new guidelines, I sent, now I don't know if you read it, I don't know if you agree with it, I don't know if you're taking action on it, but I informed you, versus what social media has done, and that has given us tools that we could use internally in new and powerful ways to unlock the communication age rather than the information age. Now look, I've been rattling off a lot of stuff for you. Let me uh, let you ask some more questions, but I answered your question by giving you some direction of how you could start to think about applying it, and that is, What are the basic roles that a culture and that human beings do in an organization 
that if we elevated those things, powerful things would happen. Communication, collaboration, transformation, innovation, you actually hold the key to that because without humans, frankly, you know, why are we bothered? Yeah. Well, we see it all the time with the digital transformation we're going through now. And a lot of times the HR teams help, help deliver that transformation. And uh, it, always, it, never falls, it never falls short on the technology, it never falls short on the, uh, on the strategy. It's the execution. It's actually getting the people to adopt <laughs> those, new, those, new, those new technologies and those new tools and the transformation. That's where everyone falls short. So I can completely agree with you because you can have the best innovations and ideas in the world. But unless the people, unless you get the buy-in and you build that culture around that, then you're going to fail. Yeah, one other thing I want to bring up, because you just hit a really important point there that I want to just emphasize. Um, BlackBerry, in other words, research in motion. Yeah. They were really good at execution. Didn't help. HP, Dell, and uh, Microsoft, and a host of others that have been disrupted. They were actually excellent at, dis at execution. My point is, what are you executing? Is, is it based on where we've been or where we're going? That's where hard trends come in. So rather than HR be really good at executing innovation, which is what you said, I want you to realize how to use the anticipatory skills that I would like to help you learn to help lead it. I want you to be not on the bleeding edge, on the leading edge. And that's why I want you to have a place at the table. And that's why I want you to not just be a fast reactor of, oh, they gave us a new strategy. Let's see how us humans can make it happen culturally. But rather, you should be helping to design it and do things. Another thing I teach is you've heard of postmortems, where you do something and then you analyze why it failed. Well, if you're anticipatory, you do a premortem. And that is you figure out why it's going to fail before you implement it and you pre-solve all those problems and then implement it. Uh, very powerful. So again, being anticipatory can really help. Yeah. T tell us more about the model, the, the model that you've created yeah. around that. Tell us more uh, about that. How does, how does, how does it lay, lay, lay out for us? Yes. Well, it, uh, it is a model. It's uh, the anticipatory model is what yeah. you're talking about. Yes. And, yeah. it, and it is really a mindset. And, uh, our learning system uh, models that, uh, that exactly, and there are four modules to it. One is called uh, Know What's Next. It's about transforming how you plan. And by the way, we all do planning. It's not just the strategic planning guys. And that's where you learn about uh, cyclical change, which is a way to see the future. There's over 500 known cycles that repeat. And then there is the linear exponential changes those are, you know, once you get a smartphone, you're not going back to a dumb phone. It's going one way and it's going like this. And then you learn about the hard and soft trends. So that gives you an ability to now have a new type of X-ray vision to see the future in new and powerful ways and separate uh, the things that can be affected and the things that you have power over. Second part of the four modules uh, would be innovation and that is how to transform innovation it's really about developing opportunities now that we know what's next in your case in hr what are some hr innovations that we could implement based on what we know is going to happen that has low risk because it's going to happen anyway mm -hmm. and frankly the sooner we can do it the better so that's part two many there's a bunch of lessons in it but i'm just giving you the modules the the third one is transforming culture 
And, uh, and this is uh, really about uh, uh, getting the mindset. For example, an element of that is having a shared aligned future view. Uh, I took a major car company. I won't, uh, uh, they're one of the big ones. I won't say uh, what their name is, but the first letter is D. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, I had them take uh, their global leaders uh, all over the world, and uh, I was talking to the CEO, and find out what their future view of the company was. Well, it was all over the board. And that was the leaders. That was their top 500 leaders. Well, how good are you gonna be if nobody knows what the future is of your own company? What if, and by the way, none of you have an aligned future view right now in your culture. Yet, culture is the biggest competitive advantage of all. Why? Because I can copy every product and every service you've got, but I can't copy your culture. That's why you are so important. And that's why, again, I'm so happy to talk to you about this. So I want to play the culture card and realize the power of it. So there is aligning future view and other elements to that, uh, that part of this equation and moving people forward with confidence. And, uh, and then the last part of it is accelerating results. Um, and that's where you learn how to take your biggest problem and skip them. Um, and other things that can help you to do something that you thought would take you three years, you know, if you could do it in three months. Well, there's techniques to do that. And uh, that, so in other words, I don't want it to take forever. So there's a way to make that happen. Problem skipping and other techniques are part of that. So it's about knowing what's next, it's about innovation, it's about culture, and it's about transforming results. Not about changing those things, it's about transforming those all of those things with uh, a set of tools that you get. And uh, by the way, I'll even mention it right now, uh, my latest book, The Anticipatory Organization, subtitled How to Turn uh, Disruption and Change into Opportunity and Advantage. Love the title, okay. by the way. Absolutely love yeah, it. Thank you. Where did the title, um, do you want me to ask you before you go into that, where did the yeah. title come from? The Anticipatory Title, where did, just quickly, where did that come from? Where does what come from? The title, where, what was the inspiration behind the title of the book? Oh, thank you for asking me that. Well, I am teaching, I am teaching the, uh, the competency of being able to anticipate versus react, right? And the, uh, the reason I call it the anticipatory organization is usually you, as an author, you write a book, you get it out there, it does well, and you create some learning systems and some other tools around it. What I have been doing is helping companies and organizations do things they thought were impossible and use these to drive rapid results. So I created the learning system first. And I called the learning system the anticipatory organization. And it's again for leaders and so on. And it uh, got a, a product of the year award. It's been doing so well. I thought, well now, based on the results I'm getting, I'll turn that into a book. So I named it after the learning system. And the reason I didn't call it the anticipatory leader is because if there's one person in the organization that's anticipatory and everyone else is reactionary, you're gonna to wanna to leave. Yeah. So it's what. about empowering an organization to be that. So that's where it came from. And what I was about to say is instead of selling you all a book, I'm actually gonna give everyone listening to this a book right now. So if you go to the AO book, T-H-E-A-O-B-O-O-K.com, um, if you're in the U.S., I'll give you a hardcover copy for free. Got to pay a couple of bucks for shipping, but hey, it's for free. You can get it right there, theaobook.com. 
And if you live outside of the country, I'll give you, there's a place in there you can see for international, I'll give you an ebook for free. You just download it and put it on any, any type of format you want. And there, so now I'm not even selling you something. I believe in it so much, I'm gonna Amazing. give it because what I think is, it's gonna get viral, you and your people are gonna like it and I'll do fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I'll link that in the description, guys. Make sure you go and grab a copy. You know, it was fantastic. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can get a copy of it. So thank you so much, Daniel, for, for doing that. Uh, I'm excited to, to read through it all myself uh, as well. So I can't wait. Um, what are some actionable steps that we can take straight away then? Uh, you know, uh, tomorrow, back in the office, you know, what are some actionable steps we can take to move the needle in the right direction? Because it's a big cultural shift from what you're talking about to shift that mentality that organizations have to, to what you're describing here. So what, what are some of the barriers we should expect and you know, what are some steps we should take to, to start on this journey? Yes, well, first of all, don't let yourself get overwhelmed by the size of it because you can do more than you think you can do. Um, there are, uh, let me share with you a couple of lessons. I was a commencement uh, speaker at graduation recently because there's a lot of, a lot of universities having their graduation time. And there are two points I made that fit this very well. One of the things I said is think big about your future, because I know you probably want me to go back and have you all think big about as an HR director, whatever your role is, to think big about what you can do. Here's what I said. Think big and then realize you just thought small, because there's always a bigger big. Never do the big, always do the bigger big. And frankly, when you learn some of these techniques that I've just given you, and as in the book that I've just given you, you will see that some of those barriers, you don't even have to go through. You can skip them altogether. Some of them are perceived. Some of them are your own blind spots and your past experience, which is keeping you from doing things the bigger big. So not, I never do the big, I always do the bigger big. So think big and then render it obsolete by the bigger big you'll actually find the bigger, big ideas are easier. That's a little insight I'll give you. It's actually easier. All right, the second thing I said in that that I think is relevant for us here, I said, don't focus on success. Now, I'm sure I, I freaked out all the parents to all the graduates when I said that. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I can don't imagine. Don't focus on creating a life of success. So as an HR director, I don't want you to be successful. Why? Because it's focused on you. It's focused on you. I have to be successful. I'll measure it by all the things and accolades and stuff that I do. Frankly, that's based on scarcity and you'll be less successful. Here's what I want you to focus on. Instead of being living a successful life, I would like you to live a significant life. Because if you're trying to focus on doing something significant, I'm focusing on you, I'm not focused on me. I'm measuring the success of that on what you have been empowered. And frankly, that's why all of you chose HR and not some other profession. Internally, you already knew that. I'm just giving it words for you. And so I want you to think significance as you're going back to think about this. I want you to think bigger than you normally do. And I want you to realize that a lot of the overwhelming elements to the cultural shift that seems, oh, this is gonna be terrible, it's gonna be hard, Actually, there's tools to help you to do that. They're there. And, uh, and I'm just letting you know, I have worked with companies that are gigantic, uh, including one that's got uh, 250,000 people. So it's a good size organization and created a culture shift. 
uh, not because the culture had to do it. We shifted their thinking from a have to to a want to. Yeah, because normally it's like it's a reaction, as you said. It's, uh, let's shift the culture because now we have to, rather than shifting in the culture in the direction that your business is going in your future. Is that what you mean? Well, and also making it personal. You see, yeah, of course, yeah. it all has to be personal. If I'm telling you, I want you all to do this. No one's going to do it. <laughs> you as an individual in that company, if, even if it's 250,000 people, if you as the individual say to yourself, oh, I want to do that. Well, now I got you. Yeah. I got you. So it's amazing what you can do when you just get a few little things to uh, help you make it happen. It's the same message, but conveyed differently, right? If you're conveying it from your person, from the organizational perspective, it's not going to be that powerful. If you convey it for them and their, what it means for them and what it means for their role in the business and personally, and how does it affect them and what value they're bringing to it, then they're going to be much more engaged. Um, yeah, as a speaker, and by the way, all of you speak, uh, I know everyone listening here gives speeches to their groups and so on. And as someone who's given uh, you know, thousands of keynote speeches over the last 35 years around the world, one thing that I know is uh, I've got to make it all personal. So regardless of whether it's 50 people or 5,000 people, uh, I have to make sure that I anchor the concepts in the individual. So remember that as you're uh, bringing out changes uh, to do it in that way. And also anticipate the problems to those changes so that um, let me give you one more big one, if I can, uh, and that is, let's talk about trust. Uh, all good relationships are based on trust, and trust is earned through honesty and integrity. And a lot of leaders will implement changes and undermine trust, not because they're bad leaders, but because they weren't anticipatory. So here's how you apply that to being anticipatory. Before you implement a change, Ask yourself, where is trust between you and the people that will be impacted by the change now? And then ask yourself, if we implement the change in this way, what happens to trust? And if your mind trust goes down, don't implement it in that way. Change how you implement it so that trust stays where it is. And if anybody can lift the bar on trust, reward them openly because you get the behaviors you reward. That is super powerful because I can't tell you how many initiatives and whether it's internally or how many new products or services have been implemented externally and trust is lost and it fails. And uh, that's because they were reactionary trying to undo the damage. Frankly, if you're anticipatory, you won't have damage in the first place. Yeah. It's, such a, it's, a very, it's a big shift in thinking, but it's so important. And I'm just wondering on that point, when, when people implement your, your system, what's the, the main feedback that you get from them? Oh, uh, first of all, I've never seen anything like this. And the reason is because uh, uh, what I did is I put, uh, I mentioned there were four modules. I have seven lessons in each module and each lesson is a three and a half to four minute video. It's very focused, it's got graphics, it's got me, and uh, I, hopefully I'm not bored. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it helps. <laughs> and then what makes it powerful is I have a rapid application tool right after the video, because remember, I'm a teacher at heart. And that means when I teach you a concept, because each video is a single concept, not five, not three, one. And then if you don't apply it to what you do, I assume you didn't learn it. So there's a rapid application tool that allows you, regardless of your role, whether you're a receptionist or a CEO, to apply it to what you do. 
And, uh, and because it's short and sweet and powerful and you get application, and then between each module, you have teamwork and it's actually collaborative. So there's collaborative elements and discussion boards within this built right in. You, uh, you end up uh, getting results early. So you start, uh, before you are done with the first module, you're already getting successes and wins, which keeps you wanting to go on. Yeah, because that's something about a lot of courses that you don't get. You know, the constant, you're, you, so you're, I'm assuming that was fully intentional, right? For people to be achieving results and implementing and executing constantly throughout the process, right? I did a pre-mortem. I did a pre-mortem. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. The other thing that I did, you know, is I, I got... Uh, uh, a, a group of people together from all different industries. Uh, I got because I work in a lot of industries. So I got CEOs, I got HR directors, I got all these different people to do a beta version of it and give me what they didn't like before I ever released it, so I could pre-solve the problems. Uh, you got again, a pre-mortem yourself, so you did it already. Hey, well, you know, if you can't practice, <laughs> you can practice. yeah, amazing, amazing. So, um, I, I, what's the really, uh, you know, you kind of answered most of my questions without me having to a- answer it, ask them really, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and, and I'm so happy you came on the show because this is such an important area for me. And as I said, I've said it a thousand times, uh, I think, you know, HR role in disruption and innovation is, is we're only at the beginning and, and it's only, you know, we're talking about, you know, HR in a boardroom and HR being strategic. I think that's just the beginning of the impact of HR. HR is uniquely placed in each organization where they have that relationship with all areas of the business. And obviously they're controlling the talent, the people, the culture. And as you said, that's fundamental to the success. But I still don't think it's something which HR leaders think about or they think of themselves as being, uh, you know, an influencer in, in that process. Yes, but... Stop thinking and start acting, because I think we think about it a lot, and uh, and we know that we are important, and we're waiting for someone to say, "Yeah, you're more important. Speak up." I want you to actively shape a positive future for you yourself and for your organization. I want you to be uh, to do the things, and I think this hour a week I ask you to do. What I want you to do is to become increasingly relevant in a world of transformational change. And you can't coast your way into increasing relevance. You have to work on it. And, you know, there's an old saying, if it is to be, it's up to me. And it is up to you to take the action to raise your, your personal relevance and to claim your stake. Because, frankly, the future of your organization and your customers, they need you. But they don't need the old version of you. They need the new, elevated version of you. We all need that. Step up. Let's make it happen. Fantastic. Well, Daniel, that leads us quite nicely on to what we have is a, a quick fire round. Where okay. I'm going to ask you five questions and you have no longer than 30 seconds to give us some amazing answers. Are you ready? Oh, okay. I like the way you said <laughs> amazing answer. Always got to throw that in there. No pressure here no at pressure, all. No pressure. Oh. Um, okay. What was the number one thing that was holding you back from becoming a leader in your field? I think, uh, you know, all of the things that hold us back can be seen by picking up a mirror and looking into it. It isn't external things, it's internal things. And I think, uh, you know, realizing I was thinking big if I look back in my 20s, uh, but as I look back, I was thinking too small. 
And even though I, I did direct federal research grant as an undergraduate and was published already at that point, I was still thinking way too small. But I think what helped me is, you know, I don't need to be good at everything. I, uh, I need to be really great at the few things that are my gifts. So the more I'm in my gift zone and the less I'm operating in my talent zone, the better because, uh, and then get other people to do that. So it's staying in my focused gift zone was a big one. Fantastic. And uh, what's the best piece of uh, advice, business advice you've ever received? I think it was, uh, uh, don't try to, well, actually, you know what? It was my, uh, my brother pointed it out and it was something that I was doing, but I didn't realize it. And it wasn't until he pointed it out that I realized it. And once you realize something, you can magnify it. Here's what he said, because I had already started a number of companies had done well when I was teaching. I got an Educator of the Year Award my first year. Here's what he said. Dan, you don't compete with anybody. You don't compete at all. Uh, you just, uh, you know, just create some new rules. And, uh, and you don't imitate, you innovate. And so here's what I got out of that. <clears throat> I don't want to compete. That's too hard. The more you look at your competition, the more you'll act like them, the more you'll be like them. So it's rather intentionally differentiating yourself and standing aside from them. Not with the idea of I'm better, because that's a foolish game to play, but rather to leverage being the best me I can be. So there it is. I want to be the best me I can be, not the best you or somebody else. Yeah, like I got to work. Love that. Love that. What's uh, one book aside from your own, of course, the anticipatory organization, <laughs> of course, we're going to link that in the description and all of the other ones. <laughs> What's some books do you recommend for our listeners who, who want to learn more about this? Well, uh, probably one of the most influential books on me is going to really freak you out. Uh, it, I read it when I was a little kid and out of all the little kid books that we all read when we're little kids, uh, there's only one I can remember but it stood out. And it was a little book that's still out there. It was called The Little Engine That Could. And it was about a little train going up a hill and thinking it can until it knew it can. And uh, that always stuck out to me in that uh, it's about where your mindset. It's about thinking you can and shifting to know you can. And I know that's crazy. It's a little kid book, but... No, but it's so, it's, it put it in such a simple... Uh, you know, way to it conveys it in such a great way. That you yeah, know. and you know, and so that little message has influenced <laughs> my entire life. So, to me, that's a profound, important book. Um, uh, yeah, it goes back to your advice. You know, the holding you back is normally ourselves, right? Holding right, right. And the other books really aren't business books. They're more the uh, the classic. Uh, you know, looking at uh, some of the great thinkers, the Aristotle and the you know, the, the, the classic thinkers to see, because, you know, they could think pretty good in the old days. Uh, <laughs> so, so they have all the noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, could you share uh, one, some internet resources that you use to keep up to date with current events, you know, innovations, disruptions? Uh, how do you keep up to date with, with what's going on around you? Yeah, well, I do have a uh, research company. I'm not just a one-guy operation, and we've been 35 years, and we research innovations in all areas of technology, laser robots, genetics, fiber optics, uh, and, and so on. And then instead of just the tool, uh, we're thinking of how is it going to be applied? How does it impact the future? How does it impact health and all these other things? So I have a research company, and uh, but so there are um, a lot of – the publications that, uh, let me talk about personally what I do. 
first of all, I've got to read what you read so I know what not to tell you. So I have to read. That's a very interesting way of looking at it, but it's great. <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm telling you what you already know, what value do I have? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, I've got to be up on what you read so I know what you know so I know what not to tell you. Then I've got to reading what, read what you don't read. So, you know, I don't spend a lot of time reading business books. I hardly read them at all. Uh, what I'm doing is reading about uh, the latest research and the latest uh, scientific journals and, you know, those kinds of things because my mind goes to what is it going to do? I'll give you a quick example. Um, there is a technology uh, where there's a paint. And when you paint anything with this paint, it absorbs energy during the day and glows that color at night. Now, when I hear that, I start thinking, well, think of all the people in India and other parts of the world that have motorcycles and motor scooters with their families on them with bad lights and that have accidents. What if all of those things glowed at night, they could see each other? Uh, what kind of energy savings would we have if we didn't have to, if we could have glowing things, lighting things? See, so I go to- The big that. picture, yeah. So, uh, so that's, uh, so I'm doing a lot of research and uh, those things. And of course I have my staff feeding me things too. Fantastic. And what's one thing around your, your business and, and your field that you're most excited about today? Uh, I'm really excited about the fact that uh, my, uh, Followings have uh, been increasing. I think uh, we talked about how I have uh, over a million followers on LinkedIn and some showing other off, Daniel. Showing off, you know. <laughs> a million blog readers. So the reason I like that is I see myself as a catalyst. In other words, I want to empower and enable, and uh, and I want people to really understand how being anticipatory and actively shaping the future and how powerful that is. And I'm very passionate about that. I think you know that. You can hopefully can tell that. And uh, so I, uh, and again, I think I was put on the planet to be a teacher. And I know what to teach. So I'm very blessed with that. And I'm very focused around that. And that kind of is a, a guide for me. Fantastic. Well, no, I think everyone listening is going to be able to, they can feel, even though we're on, we're on a podcast now, now, I'm sure everyone's been putting their hands up and down throughout the show, you know, uh -huh. getting energized, feeling the energy. Um, you know, one of the notes that I wrote down on my notepad is I love the way that you talk to our audience. You talk directly to the audience. And I've actually made a note in front of me right now that I need to become better at that, talking to the audience. I love the way you conveyed the message and actually made them part of the conversation without even them being in the room. That's like a lesson that I've already taken away, <laughs> just, you know, completely off topic, but something that I was like, wow, I love the way you were talking to the audience throughout this podcast. And we really appreciate, you know, all of the actionable advice that you've shared. I know our members are going to be a lot better off for it. So I really appreciate that. Um, well, let me interrupt you with telling you, now I'm going to talk to just you for just a second. On behalf of all of your pod uh, listeners and subscribers and all of the work that you've done in creating all these sites. First of all, I want to, on behalf of all of them, thank you for thinking bigger about your future from going beyond. Cause we talked a little bit about your past before we got started. And, the sure. journey. and you know, you have created something very powerful here because you thought bigger and you took action. So uh, thank you for doing what you've done and uh, helping to drive this community forward and uh, frankly, be a leader. So uh, great. Thank you, Daniel. means a lot coming for you. I appreciate that. Um, before we wrap up, Daniel, give our, um, our listeners, you know, one parting piece of guidance and also the best way to get in contact with you 
and learn more about your work? Yes, um, <clears throat> your, uh, let's go to that future view. I mentioned that word. How you view the future, to a great extent, shapes how you act in the present. Uh, right now, there are people that are selling Apple and there are people that are buying Apple. Why? Their future view of Apple is different. You've got some people in your organization that are really good that are thinking of leaving. Why? Their future view of staying is not that good. How you view the future shapes how you act. And by the way, how you act will shape your future. In other words, your future view will determine the future you. And I believe that all of our future views are based on a rear view mirror view of the future, not a windshield view. If I can elevate, as an HR director, if I can elevate my culture's future view, not based on motivation, zip, boom, bow, rah, rah, rah stuff, but based on future facts that are undeniable truths that they can embrace, if I can elevate their future, it will elevate everyone's future, including the organizations. So, you know, that's, I, I would like us to be thinking about the power of future view and actively elevating it in that more uh, so that we can all be more relevant. Fantastic. And what's the best way we can learn more about the work that you're doing, get in touch with you? Yeah, if you go to uh, Burris, my last name, Burris.com, B-U-R-R-U-S.com, you can find a website and all kinds of resources, newsletters, blogs, and things like that. And I mentioned uh, you can also find out about the learning system there. Uh, and the book uh, that I gave you, that's V-A-O-Book.com for the Anticipatory Organization. Uh, and you can get a copy of that. <clears throat> and I think uh, uh, that could get you in uh, good shape. And good <laughs> it's more than enough. You've already given, uh, you've given everyone some homework, including me, and I cannot wait to do it. <laughs> uh, so fantastic. Guys, also make sure you follow uh, Daniel over on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. Post some incredible stuff on there and sort of how I came across you. But Dan, I really appreciate you taking time to join us and, and speaking to our audience. And uh, I wish you all the best until we next speak. Same to you. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for watching, guys. If you enjoyed the video, please like, comment, and share so that others can benefit from the great knowledge and experience. See you tomorrow.